We're in 2 Corinthians this evening. We're going to start class with a quick rundown of what we had already talked about in our last class. And then have some discussion on the second half of 2 Corinthians. Uh, And then I'd like to spend the last half hour or so talking about uh, chapter 1, getting into it. We're going to go at a relatively slow pace going through the text. Um, But in a moment, I'll have Brother Luke lead us with an opening prayer. So, again, we're in 2 Corinthians. Um, We're going to start talking with uh, chapters 8 and following, and then eventually we'll dive into chapter 1. So, Luke, go ahead. So looking at 2 Corinthians, we talked about chapters 1 through 7 in our last class. Were there any things that uh, were left unsaid that you wanted to bring up, things that stood out to you, uh, questions, or even just something that was already said that you thought, you know what, as I got more into the book, I started to see uh, that theme that somebody brought up last week. What do you recall from our last class as far as what Paul's wanting to say to the church of Corinth. Yes, Carrie. I don't want to say anything about what we already studied, but I was reading it again um, in chapter 7. Verse 5, um, when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. And it just hit me that the apostles had fear as well. Um, I think of them so highly that they weren't fearful, um, but I know in another place, they prayed for boldness back in Acts, and, and I just think, uh, I always thought of them as, yeah, we just need to be older. But they had fear. Um, but the definition to me for courage is having fear, but doing it anyway. And so they were very courageous, though they did fear. We see in, uh, throughout the New Testament, Jesus and Paul are telling the followers, do not fear, don't be afraid, but it is a legitimate, it's a real um, experience, a real feeling, and what do we do with that? What do we, uh, what do, we do with that? And we're going to uh, see a little bit of that in chapter 1 as well. Very good. Other things? I appreciate you, you rereading through it. Um, 
I want us to sort of think about what would the first century uh, Corinthian church have done with this? Would they have just had somebody read it and say, oh, good, I'm so glad that Paul wrote us, and then never read it again? No, they probably continued reading through it. They might have made copies of it so that they could take it home and reflect on it and meditate on it. And so I think that's, that's a good practice for us to, uh, to go through this and really dive into the text. Um, in the past, I've done uh, lesson books with different questions, and that's a, that's a good practice. But I think it's just good for us to just take this home and continue to practice it, to read it, and to apply it into our lives. Yeah, Luke. Yeah, to your point, there's a letter written, I think it's 96 AD, and from Clement, and Clement is writing to Corinth, and he reminds them, he said, the issues you're saying, you've faced them before, go back and read the letters that you already have, that were written to you by Paul. So he, he refers to the fact that they still have that in possession, and expects them to still, still use the concepts there. That's, that's a good point, that, that whatever... Uh, Paul had written, they needed to go back and remind themselves. And that's a good practice for us all, to continue to, to be in the Word. Um, if it helps, on one of the back chairs, uh, I still have more of these copies. If it helps any of you to fill any of them out, it has questions that um, can apply to really any chapter, just as we reflect on what the text says about uh, God and Jesus and the Spirit, what we learn about Paul, the character of Paul, how he feels, how he uh, behaves himself, what we learn about the, the Corinthian church, and then other things that we may see, such as references to other texts, or old and new, um, other questions that we have, and then other kinds of application for us. Any other things uh, going back through 1 through 7 that stand out to you? We talked in our last class about what we see in 1 Corinthians and a lot of the, the issues that they had to address and a lack of love and how that manifested in a lot of different ways. And you don't see a lot of that in 2 Corinthians. And yet it feels like they have a whole new set of issues, a whole new set of problems that they have to deal with. And... and and Paul himself is concerned for them, concerned for their salvation, and wanting them to, to renew their confidence in him and in Christ. Um, perhaps a way that, as I've been reading through it, it's come to my attention, sort of how I sort of read this. You see the heart of Paul as a father to his children, and wanting them to... Uh, to follow him, to trust him, to, to uh, heed his wisdom, his advice, his commands, even. Um, and you see how he uses that authority uh, throughout the text. I've read it almost as though uh, the Corinthian church was a teenager who, is, who has just left the house and gone off to college. And after a year or two of college, the child has come back. And they say, Mom, Dad, you have no idea what you were talking about for the 20 years that, that uh, I was under your roof. And, and the things I have learned, I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna go the way, of, the way that I've been taught by these educators. Um, 
And, and you see how that would have affected a father such as uh, Paul and how he wants them to renew that relationship, that trust, and that confidence you know, with him. You'll see that a lot more in the last chapters. Um, the book is, has sort of a neat uh, division to the text. Chapters 1 through 7, we already read in our last class, uh, Paul has a concern for, for the saints, and he uses this as an opportunity for his testimonial to talk about uh, why he is the way that he is. He talks about Jesus and the sacrifice that he has made. Um, and you start to see glimpses of the kind of audience he has. He has some people who are clearly uh, false teachers, and some people who have uh, followed those false teachers, and some people who are on the fence, and maybe they're going to follow them, maybe not. Um, you start seeing a little bit of that in the early chapters. Then chapters 8 and 9, we see uh, the gracious giving. There was, a, there was a project that they had said, hey, we want to participate in this collection uh, for needy saints in the Judean region. And uh, they had given up on that project. And what they're going to do is uh, hopefully go, uh, renew and rekindle that project. Uh, and then chapters 10 through 13, you see uh, Paul again talking about his apostolic authority. Um, he gets into what uh, he has gone through and the things that he has suffered. And he, he, in a sense, we talked about this in our last class, in a sense he defends himself. But really what he's calling to mind, as we mentioned in chapter 12, uh, verse 19 is all that his he is saying here is really not about himself not making it the Paul show but really uh, concerned about them and wanting to build them up so um, what thoughts uh, came to mind in chapters 8 through 13 that you'd like to bring up um, something that stood out to you or, or perhaps a question that you we had talked about chapters 8 and 9 uh, recently in our finance class, but that will be, uh, if there's something that was left unsaid about that text in, uh, in particular, we can uh, bring that up now, but yeah, correct. Even in the midst of trying to explain that he does have divine authority, he uses the term twice, uh, once in chapter 10 and verse 8, and then again in chapter 13 and verse 10, the idea of, um, he says, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you is the term that he uses at the end of chapter 13. He's like, I, I've been given authority, but it's not to lord it over you, it's not to make myself better than you, but I've been given authority to benefit you. I'm trying, I'm trying to build you up, I'm trying to hurt you. Um, I think there's a good lesson there for how we ought to use authority. You know, as a parent to a child, I'm not trying to be better than them or make myself more important than them. I'm, I'm using that authority only for their benefit. Absolutely. Um, the concept of uh, 
people perverting authority for the destruction of others. You mentioned in parenting, um, within the church, with with the role of elders. Uh, Their function is to build the church up and not to destroy uh, in the workplace. Any kind of real authority, and that's how God is. God seeks to build us up into his likeness, as Luke uh, uh, brought up in his prayer. And it's not for our utter destruction. So, good. Yeah, let's looking into uh, how we use it. Do we use it at all? Do we, do we use the weapons of the flesh? Do we use the weapons of this world? Or do we, uh, do we actually know the weapons that we have been given? Some people are, are, don't even realize that we are in a spiritual conflict. We're at spiritual war. And we need to be able to use that. And we see, uh, even in verses 5 and following, casting down arguments of every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, uh, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So, Other things... To give a quick rundown of chapters 8 through 13. Again, chapters 8 and 9, there's this ministry that they had said that they were going to participate in. And they had desired to do that a year previous. uh, But they had backed out of it or they had not completed that work. And so in chapters 8 and 9, Paul is pleading with them to, to be generous. Think of what God has done through Christ in them, and that they should renew and rekindle that ministry of that collection. Um, Chapter 10, we've already talked a little bit about uh, Paul's concern for, uh, for the Corinthian church and how they need to realize uh, One, that they are uh, in a spiritual warfare, but also Paul is there to help them. And yet there were teachers there who were trying to turn them against Paul and say, you can't trust Paul. You're not going to be able to rely on him. He's fickle. He doesn't even even, uh, accept payment for his services. What's up with that? Uh, And so he brings that uh, up in chapters 10 and 11. Uh, Chapter 11, he really starts to make a contrast between himself as a minister to them and the false teachers, uh, even referring to them as uh, 
transforming themselves in verses 12, uh, 12 through 15. Transforming themselves into ministers of righteousness, uh, but them really being like Satan. Satan being one who deceives and in that sense. And then he finishes up with a passage we may be familiar with in the, in the different sufferings that he has gone through and how he's boasting in that. Um, chapter 12, he continues to talk about his love for the church and uh, some of the other sufferings that he's gone through. And we have uh, the thorn in the flesh passage and what he thinks that is and how he views that. Uh, and how he glories in that. And then at the tail end of chapter 12 and chapter 13, he talks about, I am coming to you this third time. And I love you and I want it to be for the best. I want to be able to edify you. I want to be edified by you. But uh, some things need to change. There are some serious changes that need to be made. Otherwise, uh, there will be... Uh, in verse 21, lest when I come, uh, my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for many who have sinned and have not repented for the uncleanness, uh, fornication, and lewdness which they've practiced. So we see uh, that, there, that there is a, a sincere concern for them and he wants them to com- be made complete in their obedience. Yeah. I think it's interesting also in 12, um, you know, the first part which you alluded to, uh, Paul talks about the, the, the fact that, um, or he, he recounts that he, he talks about how he really shouldn't have to and he really doesn't want to because can't really be substantiated other than his, his own. He recounts his conversion, right? How that he was caught up. And, and I, I'm always amazed at this because I think sometimes when we think about Paul and Rogan Damascus, we just think, you know, he was just there, right? Like the Lord spoke to him, that was it. But he talks about how in his vision, you know, he doesn't know if it was literal or not, but how he was in paradise, right? Hearing words that men cannot even utter, uh, which is unique. And then right after that, he talks about Satan and what Satan had done to him. And so I think part of that implication is that Satan is always going to go after those, but that's one of the flesh. Satan's always going to go after those that whom have dedicated their lives to God. But it was interesting too that Satan and God both had a hand in the form of flesh. Well, Satan gave it to him, and God said, nope, I'm not going to take it away from him. So I thought that was interesting too. That's, that's a good point. The, uh, what we see in chapter 12, uh, we see what Paul doesn't boast in. There are so many things that he could have boasted in. And yet he, he doesn't. And he could have uh, he could have gotten into that and just said, you know what, guys? Listen to me. I've had this vision. It was, it, and you need to trust me in this. But he instead glories in the strength that comes through this weakness, this thorn in the flesh. Yeah, Gary. On that point in chapter 12 there, the beginning that I just spoke about, back in Acts 22, when Paul was telling his story about his conversion, Ananias said to him in uh, 22 verse uh, 14, then he said to God, of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. You will be his witness to all men. 
the one you have seen and heard. So with all of the other apostles, one of the prerequisites for them to be an apostle was they had to be with Jesus from the time of his baptism to the time of his death and, and resurrection. Paul wasn't a part of any of that. I believe what he's talking about here is from 12 being caught up to the third heaven was his being with the Lord, where he was able to see him and hear him, and the Lord was going to tutor him or catch him up or give him the spirit or whatever he needed to do that he could be a witness to the Savior. Very good, very good. Anything else? As we, as we get into the text, think of the things that you read at the end of the book, and that might give clearer meaning to the beginning of the book, and vice versa, as we, as we start in a few moments getting into chapter one. Uh, see, the, see the threads, see uh, the common themes that we see uh, in the text. Um, I wanted to remind us of some of the key passages in, in the book. It helps us give a little bit of clarity in this. Chapter six. Uh, verses 11 through 13, again, expresses his concern for the Corinthians. O Corinthians, we've spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. And then I had also mentioned at the end of our class, chapter 13 and verse 5, this comes after him talking about coming, uh, hopefully for their upbuilding, but also being willing to, uh, to discipline. In verse 5 he says, Examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? unless indeed you are disqualified. And so looking at a little bit of that as we get into the text. Good thoughts so far. Anything else before we start over with chapter 1? All right, so let's go ahead and get all the way back to chapter 1 of of 2 Corinthians. Our goal uh, this evening is to at least get through verse 11, and then we'll pick up with verse 12 in our next class. So, uh, first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Would anybody be willing to read that for us? <clears throat> Go ahead. This is, this is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, I am, I am an apostle because that is what I wanted. Also from Timothy, our brother in Christ, to the church of God in Corinth, and to all of God's people everywhere in southern Greece, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is the Father who is full of mercy and all comfort. He comforts us every time we have trouble, so when others have trouble, we can comfort them. With the same comfort that God gives us, we share in the sufferings of Christ. In the same way, much comfort comes to us through Christ. If we have troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we have comfort, you also have comfort. This helps you to accept patiently the same sufferings we have. Our hope for you is strong. 
knowing that you share in our sufferings and also in the comfort we receive. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the trouble we suffered in Asia. We had great burdens in there that were beyond our own strength. We even gave up hope of living. Truly, in our own hearts, we believed we would die. But this happened so we would not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises people from the dead. God saved us from these great dangers of death, and He will continue to save us. We have put our hope in Him, and He will save us again. And you can help us with your prayers. Then many people will give thanks for us, that God blessed us because of the many prayers. All right. So this is um, an epistle from Paul. So this, so it helps us to not necessarily read it as as a typical story with beginning, uh, middle, and end, but rather a letter from somebody to somebody else. And so um, it helps for us to to see the author and the intended audience uh, in that. Uh, the first couple of verses seems to be a pretty standard introduction or greeting of an epistle. Uh, anything stand out to you with how he introduces at least himself and, and his audience? Paul often notes in the beginning of his letters that his purpose for writing and his authority for writing is not by man's will, but by God's will. It's okay. the same here. Okay. Um, in, in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, I liked how Jesse's uh, version rendered it. Mine says, by the will of God. Um, Paul didn't campaign to be, uh, to be an apostle. He didn't uh, use his own human efforts to become worthy to be called an apostle. But it's, it's God's will. God wanted him to be an apostle. Um, so, yes. That's a good point. Um, what uh, Katrina mentions in cha in First Corinthians, uh, chapter one, verse two, to the church of Christ, uh, of God that's in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, um, or called saints, um, as it may be rendered. They were called to be saints, but they weren't very acting very saintly in First Corinthians. But again, as we see in Second uh, Corinthians, he's calling he's calling them the Church of God, as well as all the saints who are in all Achaia, the region um, uh, just south of Macedonia that uh, that Corinth is a part of, and tying that into what his introduction to his message is as comfort one another, build one another up. 
work together. You are a church. You are a collective. You are one body together. Good. We see that uh, Paul's not alone. Uh, he mentions Timothy, our brother, as, be, as perhaps having a hand in, uh, in writing this. And in verse 2, we see a, a, another common intro uh, salutation. Uh, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Very good. In verses 3 and following, pretty well to, to verse 11, we, could, we might be able to break it up some, but he starts talking about um, comfort by um, acknowledging God. In verse 3, blessed be uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And then he talks about what comfort looks like, what the purpose of comfort is, um, and, and what the end result is of the, the trials, the tribulations, the troubles, um, afflictions, sufferings. He, he must have had the thesaurus nearby because he uses pretty well every description of the things that he's going through. Why start a letter like this? Christ told us the world hated him because he was not of the world and that don't be surprised when the world hates us also. And my boys, when my boys became Christians, I told them, you now have a target on your back. Satan is going to actively come after you because you're not in the world. You're not part of his tribe anymore. He's going to come after you and set traps for you, so on and so forth. And So that's basically what happens when we become a Christian. We're going to have snaps and tra traps and tribulations and because we are not of the world it's Satan's our enemy is going to come after us. Okay, yeah. So, so he brings up the importance, uh, as Gary's pointing out, that whenever you follow Christ, it's going to come with difficulties. It's going to come with... Um, you're making yourself and declaring yourself an enemy of Satan. And Satan recognizes that and he's going to come at, at us with full force. Um, and so, recognizing that the tribulations will come, um, not only from the world, um, but Paul's going to talk about even the troubles that he had in his interactions among the brethren uh, as well. Very good. What else? Hold up your hands if you have any questions or comments. We'll try to get a, uh, a microphone to you. Yes. I can just see him starting this out reminding them of kind of growth mindset. I think that's a modern term, but just this idea that it has a purpose. If you, if you know on the front end that on the other side of whatever this difficulty is, it'll be worth it. And you'll look back on it and be able to say, oh, I, I see God's hand there. Even if you don't know it on the front end, very good yeah the idea of um, if we truly want to grow we can see purpose in in uh, what God has us go through um, the culture of Corinth in general disliked suffering 
most cultures have, have an adverse feeling towards something, right? Um, but, as we've already mentioned, Katrina alluded to this a little bit earlier, if you, if you want to be a servant to other people, you start with seeing how God has served you. And you see God as being the source of, of the comfort here. And whenever God prepares us for service, um, by showing us how he has really served us and, and lavished on us his, his mercy, his love, his grace, that's what we need to recognize. If we're not serving, that probably stems from us not recognizing how much God has, has served us. Yes, Gary. Just wanted to give a verse to what kind of me a couple weeks ago for not giving verses when I make my comments. Second <laughs> Timothy three twelve, yes and all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. First or second? Second uh, Timothy three twelve. Second Timothy three twelve. Very good. is what does comfort mean? What does it look like? I think also at the same time, it might be worthwhile looking at what affliction really means and what that looks like. Are we going through the same afflictions or different types of afflictions? Bob and then Bob. Yeah, the two terms there, affliction and comfort, are terms that we're not really comfortable. Uh, we don't really understand them per se, when we think of affliction, and then we think, okay, we're being comforted because of that affliction, how is that even possible in our minds? You know, the way we would normally think. But yet Paul says about his affliction, and fortunately, we're not, uh, that's not him. He, he goes in detail in, in both of these epistles about what kind of affliction he has gone through. And then to say that God comforts in that affliction, well, there's a goal for us. You know, like she said, when we think about comfort, we think taking our shoes off, getting comfort, getting our time and that, that's comfort. But that's not what he's talking about. You know, this, this is a comfort beyond all of that. And so it's a goal for us. We may not always understand it, but we know it. we need to know it's there. And it can get us through anything, like it got Paul through anything and everything. That's a, that's a very good point. I like to sometimes look at the, the origins of words. The original word there um, for affliction uh, carries the idea of being squeezed or crushed or having a narrowness of room. And so you could, you could see the things that he endured uh, and how he, and 
his response is turning to, uh, turning to God. And then the word comfort has the word fort in it. The, the idea of strength, uh, being strengthened through uh, these difficulties. Yes, Bob. I can't help, <clears throat> excuse me, I can't help but think of what Paul's working up to uh, in chapter 2 um, with this with this narrative that he's presenting, it seems like he has this in the back of his mind, and he is he is uh, he's massaging their thinking uh, and letting them think about how God comforts us, and, and we have great need for that, and we are afflicted by many things. Uh, usually, it's by our own sin, or oftentimes it is. Of course, he's going to talk to them about the sinning brother, and he's going to say uh, in, in, the second, uh, in the second chapter, verse 6, sufficient for such a one is the punishment which was inflicted by the majority, so that, on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So, Suddenly, then we or the Corinthians were called to be play the part of God in that and disperse His grace accordingly. Okay, Julia, then I. Yeah, kind of going back with your idea of like the forts with comfort. Um, I kind of have always read the idea of comfort with affection in this as just like a safe space or like being supported. Um, and maybe that's together with other people, or maybe that's through God. Um, maybe that's God putting those people in your life to be that safe space and that support when you're dealing with that affliction. Good idea. I like that. Isaiah 51 12 says, I even I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and of the son of man who is made like grass? And so then. Over in Matthew, he tells us to fear not the one who can kill the body, but the one who can kill the body and cast the soul into hell's fire. So he, there's all kinds of things. When he's talking about comfort, he's, I don't think he's, he's talking about necessarily things go all go right in your life. Everything's going to be peaceful. But he's talking about as we go through this world, He's going to give us the peace of mind to get through the trials by knowing Him, who is the Comforter and who will save us in the end. I'm thinking with Christ having conquered death and giving that promise of eternal life to us, going along with what He taught us in Romans, the uh, 8th chapter, who shall separate us from the love of God. This is uh, Romans 8, 7, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or quarrel, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we were killed all day long. We are accompanied as sheep for the slaughter. That doesn't sound very comforting, but yet in all these things we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, created things, we shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So I believe our comfort is in knowing that whatever we're going through, Christ can appreciate it. He's been through it, and he's, he's conquered, and he's promised us that he will never leave us, that he will be with us, and he will help us get through whatever we're going through. And regardless of what happens to us physically, he's going to bring us home. So we're comforted in that knowledge. Go with Mike, and Craig, and then So, um, the other English word that this Greek word is translated into is uh, encouragement, which I think is really interesting, because if you pick up verse 4, I'm just, who encourages us in all of our tribulation that we may be able to encourage those who are in any trouble with the encouragement with which we ourselves are being encouraged by God. So, comfort and encouragement, you see those two words interchanged there, and as I read it with encouragement, it actually helps me maybe understand it a little better. Take away this feel good, no, no more pain situation, but the fact that even in my tribulation and pain, I can be encouraged and I can be encouraged. Uh, there's actually, God is doing two different things for us. He's described as the Father of mercies or grace, and He's the God of all comfort. And, and the way I envision that is without God, consider all the all the additional trials and afflictions we would encounter without Him. So I see God filtering some of those for us so that we don't have to experience those. And the ones that we do have to encounter, God is there to, to offer us that encouragement and strength. He, he comes back to this a little bit in chapter 4, um, when He says in 4 and verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. And so there's this, there's this grace, there's this mercy that God, God is, is putting His hand on us, protecting us from so many things that we would experience uh, without Him. Yeah, and, and just tying these uh, thoughts together, that recognizing what we go through, we have the encouragement uh, through, through Christ. Um, Christians aren't the only ones to suffer. The world suffers. We're, we're not given any necessary protection in that sense. Uh, but we have, we have a hope, we have uh, a, an assurance uh, through, through uh, God. Yeah. Well, you pretty much just made my point. Um, verse 8 says, The affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. So we have a hope in Him that He will deliver us, knowing that if He chooses not to, we're going to be with Him eternally anyway. But that hope gets us through so much that there's nothing else to rely on. That's a good point. Um, uh, again, looking at verse 8. He, he admits that he was burdened beyond what he could bear alone. 
He's, he's not a spiritual superman of sorts. Um, and, and you can see that despair. You can see that fear that we talked about earlier. Um, and he, he draws on that uh, in chapter 4. We already just read this in verse 8. That he is perplexed, but not to the point of despair. Yes? And it looks like he's showing his um, humanity here where he's admitting there's like a fear of death. They, they accepted it. At the very least, accepted it. And so Lisa's question and her, her point earlier about like, the weapons and, and the armor of God, I, I would think that in spiritual warfare, the most important thing, if it's a weapon, would be what is truth? What is truth? And if this is true, um, some of the most faithful were facing their death and admit that they were having to face it so that they wouldn't rely upon themselves. Just to echo the last comment, that sometimes we're going to be put through things to teach us, to relinquish the hold on something, to almost to have God um, deliver us physically from something, just as a testimony to give to someone else. You know, you were... I, I keep hearing this word typology, but we're, we're a type. We're the bride. And we should probably be able to see God working in our lives when we submit to it. And that's a good point. Uh, he brought up in verse 9 that the sentence of death had a purpose. We, we, seeing the purpose in all of it, the purpose being that we should not trust in ourselves, but in... How does it describe God in verse 9? Just go ahead and shout it out. Who raises the dead. If we trust in the God who raises the dead, what should we despair about? What should trouble us? What really does trouble you? Do you, do you find yourself troubled by the world? I find myself troubled by the world whenever I stop thinking about the God who has raised the dead. I was just getting to say, he's talking a lot about resurrection here. He's saying, don't worry about what goes on in this life. Look, I raise you up for eternity. And so I raise it, but the God who raises the dead, who rescued us from the great peril of death, we will overcome death because the God we're trusting in raises the dead. Yeah, Chris. I think we all know from experience that if we've been through a certain situation, it makes it a lot easier for us to be a comforter to someone else. Uh, and also looking at Jesus and how he comforted people. I don't know that we can exactly, you know, narrow down and pinpoint exactly what uh, afflictions and what comfort we're talking about, but many times as Jesus was saying to people, you know, like, friend, your sins are forgiven. Uh, your faith is saved, go in peace. I mean, those are words of comfort. Uh, the different parables and the different times uh, he's talking to the you know, different ones. Uh, we talk about their faith. If you turn your house, uh, you know, don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. Uh, you make well. So, uh, I mean, that is comfort. And most of those situations, he's talking about their spiritual situation. I don't think it's limited in that way, but that's how Jesus comforts even today. 
That, that's a good point. Um, I, you bringing that up reminded me of Hebrews chapter 2, uh, where uh, we have this great high priest who makes propitiations for the sins of the people. He himself suffered being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. Um, yes? Angel strengthened, comforted, encouraged him. Um, in verse uh, verses three and four, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. I don't have to have gone through the same thing as you have gone through in order for me to encourage somebody else. Um, and so. Uh, we may touch on a little bit of the rest of this uh, in our next class, but the goal is to pick up in verse 12 and finish the chapter. Thank you all for your comments.